Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here, and um, I think we're going to jump right in with a lot without a lot of of intro because I've I've been wanting to go into this theme. I, I feel coming into uh, this new year, 2022, for our house as I've prayed for our body and even the listeners um, that listen to these things that this would really be a year of freedom, and I feel that profoundly for our household, especially. Um, um, people really stepping into the freedom of the Lord and into their true identity and into wholeness. And, and I see God really leading us into that. I've seen the theme over these past years of the identity of God and the goodness and kindness of the Lord being manifest and, and, and the fruit that that's born in so many lives. Um, but this week, um, considering freedom, I want to talk about what I believe and what I will call is, is the place of freedom, which is the wilderness. And it's something I've wanted to be, I've, I've been drawn to go into this topic, maybe even for a few weeks we'll, we'll do it, because there's such a theme of the wilderness in the Bible. And, and even all the, the Jews of the day, even in the, in the New Covenant day, understood so many of the wilderness symbolism uh, concerning their history, their national history. And, and, um, but even as I want to do that, and I want to look, especially in the book of Numbers, because it sounds like the most boring book in the Bible, but it's not. It's incredibly fun. It's like an X-Men movie or something. Um, eventually, I want to get into that, into this wilderness walk in life. Um, I, felt like, I felt led of the Lord to like really talk about the wilderness through the lens of the Lord Jesus, kind of start with Him and then work backwards through it. And I think we'll see a lot of parallels of what the wilderness walk literally looks like um, in the here and now because the wilderness just um to sum things up a bit is 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 the place of freedom and the place of identity that everyone who follows the lord walks through in this life and um the things of this world that people think keep them safe and keep them comfortable are actually often the very things that keep them bound and the wilderness is the place of shedding those things shedding even the identity that we sometimes take upon ourselves in order to be safe or to have our needs met. But in this walk of true Christianity, that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, like I'm following him now. It's a declaration. I'm not going to be in want. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter if he leads me by the still peaceful, quiet water in green grass or through the valley of the shadow of death. The circumstance no longer makes any difference to me because he's with me and his rod and his staff comforts me. And that's the Christian walk, you know. It's coming to this place. Sometimes it really looks like going against the flow or very unconventional, but that is the walk of the Spirit. You know, Romans 8 talks about those who, those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And, and that's a that's a, 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 an awfully pointed description of what it means to be a son. And that's huios. That's like a mature son of God. It literally means those whose lives are led by the Spirit. Those whose lives are led by the Spirit who is God. You know, and worshiping Him in spirit and truth and accuracy. Uh, so there's something beautiful to that. Coming into this life and stepping into this walk with Him where it's almost like backwards day. And everything that we thought was gets flipped over on its head. Jesus came around, did he not, making almost like a mockery of this plastic reality. Amen. I mean, he did some of these most profound things. Usually he would do some, them in secret. 
but he would take people to deserted places on several occasions where there was no food. And he would feed thousands upon thousands of them at a time, out of nowhere. But that's what the wilderness looks like. Heaven's out there. From the, from the comforts of the religious system, it looks like craziness. It looks like danger, you know. But from the, the bosom, the shadow of the Most High, that's Psalm 91, they recognize it's, it's the abundance of heaven wherever they're at because they're with heaven. They're with the King of heaven, the Creator. And so they're at the, in the most safest possible place. You know, Israel comes and it goes through what we now know as Christians of these baptisms, right? Their identity, if we want to put it into identity, which I think we'll probably bring that around by the end of this, um, had become slaves, you know, the servants of Egypt. There were those who were in bondage, became their, per, had, they had taken on an identity that was never theirs to be, you know. So God literally comes and sets them free through, a, you know, profound, incredible stories um, and plagues and things like that, you know, through Moses doing magic tricks, throwing his staff on the ground or Aaron's rod and it turning into a snake and eating other snakes. Just weird, strange things that are in our Bible, you know. And he literally takes them out to the middle of nowhere, what would seem like nowhere on the way to this promised land, right? And we have this first baptism, which was the Red Sea, which parts for them as long as Moses is holding a stick up, <laughs> you know? Think about how wild or weird our Bible is. We've just read it so much so we just know it, you know what I mean? But if you think about this, if you've never seen this thing, it's just like, what is happening? And that's real-time life of the Spirit, you know? And, um, but that first baptism, that water parts, they go across into the wilderness, and when all those things which tried to enforce that fallen identity of slavery those ones who kept them in bondage tried to come after him, it was completely swallowed by that water. Yeah, whoops-a-daisy, right, Vincent? You know, um, and, and it's just like, that's our first baptism. It's like, hey, you're not who you once thought. You're a son. And that's what God told to Pharaoh. He told Moses, like, go tell Pharaoh, let my son go. Let my, let my son go out into the wilderness. Let him go. Or else, <laughs> you know, bang, bang. And that's what happened to him. Bang, 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 you know. Um, but that's that first baptism. The second one was the Jordan going into the promised land. But, you know, that is the walk of the spirit, the empowerment of God. But they understood these concepts that these that the wilderness people, the nation of Israel, literally went into the promised land and wandered for 40 years, a trip that should have taken two weeks because so many of them were afraid to go into the promised land because of the Nephilim and the giants and all these things, these monsters, right? Um, but like I said, let me back up because we got a while. Not today. I mean, we got a while with this. I think I'm going to do this for a while. But I want to look into this through the life of God incarnate, Jesus. He's the key to this map, you know. And so when we read the Old Testament through him, we see it accurately. And when we read Paul through him, we see Paul accurately. All the, you know, the epistles and Peter and all these guys. Um, but Jesus comes and he does something. It doesn't take 40 days, but he actually goes into the wilderness from that number 40 for 40, for 40 days, not for 40 years, I'm sorry. So he, he goes on a 40-day trip directly after he's baptized. You know, and I love, if you read the book of Mark, Mark's kind of like a cliff notes of this story. And I think we'll, we can do Matthew or Luke. I think we're going to do Luke because it's just closer to flip for Mark today. 
But Mark comes and it starts with this theme of the wilderness. You know, the wilderness, you know, it's, an, it's a, a wild, uncon, uncultivated region as of a forest or a desert inhabited or only inhabited by uninhabited or only inhabited by wild animals. It's a wasteland. In other words, there's nothing there. It looks completely empty and it's the place of haunts. It's the place of danger or so it was believed in the ancient Near East in the, in the times of the Bible. But the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it literally, it literally starts off talking about the Baptist, John. And it says, it, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A prophecy from Malachi. And then, and then it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it starts to quote these things. And then it says in verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching this baptism of repentance. So this is the start of our gospel. And look where it starts. It doesn't start, you know, Herod was called Herod the Great for a reason because he had taken Jerusalem and he built it up to such an incredible looking place. You know, he extended what was the temple that Solomon built, which was already incredible, and the wall that went around it. I mean, it was like between 400 to 600 feet tall. So it's, it's not like, you know, it's, it's this big, you know. This is bigger than uh, Green Acres or something like this. You know what I mean? What we think about. This is massive and beautiful and articulate. And the commons areas and the pools and all the stuff around Jerusalem, it was an, it was an incredible um, place to behold. It was high-tech. Just like Egypt was high-tech when, when Israel got broke out of that. Maybe more high-tech than some people think, maybe than we are living today. Who knows? You know. But um, ask Tesla about that. I'm not sure. But what I'm saying is this, is it was this beautiful metropolitan place, and they were on lockdown from Rome. But John starts this ministry according to the Spirit of God. He had the Holy Spirit since he was born in his mom's womb. And so he starts this thing out in the middle of nowhere. Not trying to make a name for himself. It was out in a place that you had to actually go out to instead of coming to where everybody was already at. Everything was built up. So he comes and he starts this baptism uh, thing, which what, what's that even about? But they had some grid for it, right? Their national history. But it's this repentance and this washing of sins. Like, what, what are you even talking about? But he come proclaiming that there's somebody coming behind me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, he's going to, fire is going to consume everything that's been in the way, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, it's like, it's like he was hip to the reality that this new covenant was going to be before anybody even knew about it. Yeah. You know, long before. Yeah. People don't give him enough credit, but let me leave him alone. You guys know how much I like him. But <laughs> Jesus shows up, you know, he's kind of a cousin. Gets baptized by John. John's like, no, 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 you need to be baptized by me. He's like, no, this is right. Let's him baptize him, right? And then in John, you know, we, we hear the voice that comes out of heaven. You know, this is my beloved son. You know, you see the, the spirit like a dove. Descending, you know, you have father, son, and spirit all in one picture in a sense. And then in verse 12, it says, immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. So Jesus' first steps of this life our model for the first step of Christianity yeah. is as soon as you go all in, that's what baptism is. It's like as soon as, you're, as you understand Christianity is that your life is consumed in Him. 
You've been crucified with him. It's no longer you live. It's like as soon as you're like, Jesus is Lord, like you actually want it, like your life, the keys have been turned over to the shepherd. It's like as soon as that happens, the wilderness starts, you know? And it's not like sell your you know, house and live in a van. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just the way we've been hammered at, you know, for our whole life. You know, when a guest speaker, minister, you know, missionary comes and talks like that. You know, listen, that's not what's going on here. But Jesus, immediately the Spirit leads him into a place. And I love verse 13 of John, uh, of Mark 1, because it's, it, it, it takes the story of Matthew and, and, and Luke 4, and like it takes that wilderness story and it just condenses it. It says, he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, was what the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. And then he comes back out. And so he just gives a real cliff notes, which we're actually going to look at. But I love that reality of the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, which was the, the number of years Israel wandered before they went into their promised land. All their testing. Um, he was tempted by Satan, which I think that's what we'll go into today and see how far we get through it. Um, he was with the wild beasts, something that since Eden... Um, wasn't possible, didn't happen any longer. He was with the wild beasts of the wilderness. And it's funny, it's like he's, you know, Jedediah was what was spoken of by the prophet concerning David's son Solomon, from which the, the Messiah's lineage would come, you know? And, you know, he comes and he, he, instead of naming him Jedediah, even though that's what God named him, he called him Solomon, and I've still never understood that. But Jedediah means my beloved, and that's the very, that's the very pronunciation that had, been lit, that had been spoken over Jesus at this baptism. You know, my beloved son. It was the mark of the son, the lineage of David, the, the messianic mark is what it was. And so we know this, the stories of David when he was in the wilderness, doing, in the unseen realm, doing things that no one had ever heard of until he rolls up into Saul's uh, tent, right, before he fights Goliath, and he tells him about his wilderness days. I killed lions. It's like, I killed bears. I'm going to kill this Philistine just like this. Most of us, you know, most of us know this. These are the, the old David story. That's what, you know, so David was, was out in the wilderness killing lions and bears, but Jesus, the son of David, the, the true Messiah, was out in the wilderness with, with the lions and bears, with the wild beasts. And they were submitted to him like, like Daniel's lions. In that in that den he's out there living another reality it doesn't affect him he, he didn't have a slingshot hitting those things in the noggin you know what I'm saying or, or, or cutting them you know slapping them whatever you want to say um, I have to entertain my own self some days but um, so it, he was with the wild beast and then and the angels ministered to him it's just like so what was he doing out there oh he was you know Satan was out there with him what like yeah the wild beast like really and he was all right yeah he was cool with them and and the angels were ministering. Well, you know, you just hear the, the whole thing. But we're going to break it down a little bit more because I think seeing the life of Jesus as the firstborn of many brethren. Yes, he is God in the flesh, but he's also the firstborn of many brethren. He's saying, hey, like, walk this way. This is how it looks. Hey, guys, this is what we are. Your sons, your daughters. This is the walk, you know. And so he goes and he, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he shows us this life. So I'm going to talk about this life through, uh, let's do Luke 4 because it's just a few pages over. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, returning from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So we're going to talk about these temptations that the devil came with him, Adam with. This is a 40-day period. 
the, the one in the Matthew says like he was, he had fasted for 40 days, he hadn't eaten or he hadn't had any food or water for 40 days, which is, you know, how's that happen? And, and, and Satan was really pushing his buttons at that point. He was really coming at him to test him. Because when you're in your flesh, it's, things are a whole lot more difficult. Ask a new mom that hasn't had sleep for a month. You know what I mean? Or dad, you know what I'm saying? Or people that go through boot camps and stuff, special forces and stuff. It's like they deprive those people so that their flesh is at its weakest state because it makes everything so much more difficult. But Jesus was demonstrating like, my flesh doesn't matter anymore. This is about the walk of the Spirit. He was going out and putting that suit that he had taken on, that vessel, and putting it fully in its place. Like there's not one bit of your nature, the old nature of man, that will have any dominion over me, my will, you know, to do the will of one who sent me. And so Jesus, uh, or the devil comes to Jesus and he sees after 40 days that he was hungry. And he says to him, command this stone to become bread. Like why, why should you be out here starving hungry? Jesus quotes to him something. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So he quotes Deuteronomy 3.8. There's something interesting to see in these three different quotes that we'll have there in Matthew and they're here in Luke, uh, in this interaction between Satan and Jesus, that Jesus, in a sense, never uses what would appear to be his own words. You see, you see what I'm saying? It's almost like he takes a page of his Torah or Bible and rips it off and just hands it to him. Hey, do this. And it's just like, here, here's the verse about that. Here's what my father says about that. Here's what Abba says to this. It's never even, he's never even triggered to react out of his own self. Now, obviously, it's like it says in 1 Corinthians 1, it's like, uh, um, if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And this is a great um, verse that shows us like, that I truly believe Satan did not know who he was. Satan did not recognize who Jesus was out there. I mean, he knew he was someone. He knew the prophecies. He knew the son of David. Uh, but, but that 1 Corinthians 2, I'm sorry, Verse 8, which says, which none of the rulers of this age had known, nor if they would have, they would have never crucified the Lord Jesus. So he, he understood the messianic promises. He understood this, the, the potential of this being a Messiah. But I don't believe that the devil in this, in this scenario understood this is Yahweh in the flesh. This is what Colossians calls the embodiment of Yahweh himself. Like, I don't think that was that level was, was there in his mind to fully catch, but he was sniffing around this human vessel. You smell like one of them. I know you crave the things they crave. I know you lust after the things they love. I know I've got to be able to push a button in you to get me to, to, to have some authority over you. So he's pushing these buttons, but he did not know to the extent of who he was in the presence of, you know. And um, so anyway, so man shall not live by bread alone, but by every... This is the first test of the wilderness, if you look at it. And this is the first test of actually real, true Christianity. It's just, it's, it's very much like Psalm 23. But in Exodus 16, when, when, the, when the Israelites had first come out of um, Egypt, you know, it's like, all right, you've got, 
these thousands upon thousands of people like how are we even gonna how are we gonna eat out here you know and it's funny because they the Lord smacked on Egypt so hard that they gave them all kinds of gold and jewelry so they came out they came out basically wealthy but there wasn't there wasn't a Sam's Club out there in the wilderness you know what I'm saying they're just like out there with all this you know what I mean like what are you gonna do with you know what's 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 the deal and we have the reality of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the daily bread scriptures, you know. And it's in, in Exodus 16, the Lord tells Moses in verse 4, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain down bread from heaven and, um, for you and, and for the people. And they shall go out and gather a quota of it every single day. If you, if you read Exodus 16, he, the quails came in at night so they could, have, they could have meat for dinner. They had this manna that would come out on the... On, on the ground every single day. Um, and I just think it's hilarious that it's called manna, Exodus 16, 31. Manna just means what is it or what's that? You know, and it's like this, these, this foamy cake stuff used, would, after the, the dew of the morning would show up, this foamy cake looking stuff would show up on the ground and the name for it was like, what is that? What's that? Hey, what's that? You know what I mean? And they just go, that, that's what's that. That's what it is. And it was, it was the food, of, the bread of angels. You know what I mean? And it tasted like wafers of cakes uh, with, baked with honey. Like, sounds pretty good to me. Right now, to be honest. I could probably eat a couple of those. You know? But, you know, anyway, so these guys are like, they're gathering this food every morning. And, and the test was, it's going to be there every single day, six days a week. If you read Exodus 16. Except for, on sab- except for on the Sabbath, you know, you don't gather it. So the day before the Sabbath, you, you, you gather double because that day you're going to be resting. And um, I think it's so funny. And he tells them, like, when you gather, gather only what you're going to eat that day. Don't gather it for the next, you know, don't, don't try to store it up in your, because that's the first thing I would have done. I'm like, oh, I'm getting 10 of these things. I'm getting 20. I'm going to eat them tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, just because you never know if it's coming the next day. But he was teaching him them to trust him. Just like that Jesus was speaking out towards Satan in his direction. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Like, I trust God. Like, he feeds me. Like, you know, there's this life of blind trust. Who is blind but my servant? Dream. Blind trust that he's just like demonstrating. It's like, I'm not going to be tricked by fear to use power to do something especially to be triggered by my identity, if you really are the Son of God. You know what I mean? There's all these manipulative mind games that go on in this life and in this walk when we choose to follow the Lord. Oh, boy, man. And so Jesus isn't playing the game. He's quoting these scriptures, but this manna that this bread of heaven would come on a daily basis for the Israelites. And, of course, the first round, some of the people tried to store some in their tent. You know what I mean? And it bred worms, and it, was, and it, stunk, and it says it stank. You know what I mean? That's that King James. It was stanking. You know what I mean? That next day. And so they're like, oh, man. And Moses got mad at him. He's like, I told you guys not to store that stuff up. You know, it's going to come on. You're stinging up every the community, you know. And uh, so anyways, it would happen every single day. Yeah. And they just had to trust it every day. And, and man, that, you know, it's simple. But the simplicity of, of this walk is when we come to Christianity, we understand God talks. That, that's the curtain was torn. It's somehow become controversial, which is just so backwards. But it's the reality of this is the shepherd. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Father, give us this day our daily bread. You know, all these, all these themes was, was 
Man doesn't live by bread every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. My life is now directed by the voice of the Lord, and I will not be directed by yours or any other one. The, the, the wilderness, man, in this walk is the place where the enemy's tool, which is manipulation to control people and to pressure people, is severed from people so they are free to walk according to the voice of the Lord. And that voice gets loud, that manipulative voice. And it might come from people that you trust or even love. It could come from even from family. It could come from, you know, are you sure you want to, you know, this is crazy. You're going to do this. You're going to go out, you know, like you're building your life this way. It's just like, it's not conventional, but it is more real and has more substance. A drop of heaven has more substance than, than every concrete foundation in this whole city has. It's very much more real, man. So much more real, and faith is understanding this. You know, faith is is the the evidence of things that aren't seen. You know, what I'm saying faith is the substrate. It's like the foundational platform of which heaven actually comes in upon. So, anyhow, I, I I love that first reaction there. If you are the son of God, going straight at his identity. If you are this, prove that you're this. By doing this that's another that's another thing if you have to prove what you are it might be because you are not what you think you are you know what I mean my dog doesn't have to prove that he's a dog he acts like a dog he's triggered in the way dogs are triggered just let a cat walk across the front yard when he's at the window it ain't pretty but it's but it's what he is man you know and it's, it's, it's very interesting, just like the Garden of Eden, when, when the serpent's telling Adam and Eve, eat this fruit and then you'll be like God. No, you know, it's like they were created in the image of God. It's like, do this and then you'll be like God. It's like, hey, like, I don't have to do anything to be like God. I'm the one that's created his image. That's, my, that's actually my purpose and destiny. That's what my likeness is after. That's actually my dad. I just got to be. So Jesus is out there being himself. And Satan's trying to, trying to spin his wheels, his identity wheels, to try to get him to prove what he is. And man, this is the source of so many false identities that people wear in this world to get their needs met. Whether it's to, to appear to have it all together, to, to, to appear to have success, to appear to be tough, to be unscathed, to be untouchable, whatever that outfit is, that Esau's hairy outfit is that, that, that we put on to try to get our needs met, Jesus doesn't put on anything around this guy because he has no triggers yeah man it's not man doesn't live by bread alone it says then the devil took him up upon a high mountain in an exceedingly high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time all of this authority I will give you he said and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you'll worship before me, all of this will be yours. Can you imagine that? Here's Yahweh, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him and through him. Everything that was made was made. Jesus is the creator. And you've got the devil saying, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Also, the devil has the power somehow to take Jesus 
to translate him, transport him into some supernatural trance or translation to this high place where you can show him this panoramic vision of the kingdoms of the world. That's pretty wild, isn't it? And it's like, hey, listen, I can make, I can give you all of these things if you'll bow to me, if you'll submit to me. And it's very interesting because Jesus was coming for all these places. That's another trick of the wilderness. And it's just like, hey, I can give you what you're here to get without having to go through all the drama that I'm going to actually enforce if you just bow down to me. That's, that's like, that is like manipulation and control 101. You can go this route, the God route, if you want. You, know, you can do it my way or you can do it your way. But if you do it your way, I'm not going to make it fun for you. If daddy's not going to be happy, you're not going to be happy. Your mom's not going to, you know, you hear that all saying, you know what I'm saying? Like, I will make this miserable for you. I will fight you for hand and tooth. It doesn't have to be that way. Just, just bow down, you know. Um, Jesus, again, get behind me for it is written. You shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. And again, here he is, Deuteronomy 6. Tears off a piece of a scroll and says, here is my response. I'll submit my response to you. You know what I mean? It's like everything he says, it's like he's so hidden. This is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, abides in the shadow. He's so in alignment with God that his answers to the pressures that come at him are actually scriptural. He doesn't step out of alignment in order to address what's going on. And be like, oh yeah? Well, I, I don't need to bow to you. Because I'm taking, I'm reclaiming all these nations. I'm not here for one. I'm not here to be the king of the Jews. I'm here for the whole thing, man. And I will take them. And there's nothing you'll do about it. You know, he doesn't come out into the flesh, into this, you know, start peacocking and chipping away because he's not triggered. His flesh has nothing in him. He just pushes out the word of the Lord. He's, if you can see it, he's so hidden in God that it's almost like Satan can't even see past just the human. He just can't even see the... All he hears is the Bible words coming out of him. The Torah, he's just fully abiding in him. But it's actually him, which is great. <clears throat> and then the third test. It's interesting because Matthew and Luke get these two backwards. And I think there's something to that. But the third thing that he says to him, it says he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you and keep you. And in their hands, um, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And I think that's just absolutely nuts, right? Because the thing about that is now Satan's playing the game that he feels like Jesus is playing towards him. You catch it? It's like now he's like, oh, you want to do scripture verses? Here, like, here, I'll, I'll take scripture and I'll actually twist it in a way that you'll obey my voice. Can you imagine that? Like the enemy uses the Bible and uses scriptures and the words of God. And, you know what I mean? Hey, hey, you know what I mean? That's the, yeah, dude, that's, that's the, the main thing. That, that's the main play that he's got in his tool bag, you know. But he uses that same Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is the wilderness psalm, and it is, it is the exorcism psalm, basically, in the Old Testament. It takes all these, if you, if you break Psalm 91 down, the terror of the night, the air that flies by the day, the pestilence of the darkness, all these different things 
all of them have their origins in different names of demonic entities from old Jewish writings. And it's just like, so he's taking this, he's taking this psalm of authority of, of a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, and he's taking it in a way as like, dude, you can actually, I can actually take your psalm as, the, as basically the king of all these entities, and I'm going to try to push your buttons into something else. And Jesus' flesh is just not triggered. Can you imagine that? The king of glory, he doesn't get insulted by things. He, does, he doesn't take stuff personal. He's like, he's just locked into his purpose. And this is the wilderness and its identity. Hey, he takes him up. Another thing, think about this. He takes him to Jerusalem and he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. He says, like, how is this, this being powerful enough to demonstrate supernatural things and translate Yahweh incarnate embodied around? And he could have squenched the guy instantly if he wanted to. The, the pinnacle of the temple, it was like, it's the southeast corner of the temple. And it's like where Solomon's temple was, it was this beautiful, incredible, full of jewels, you know, gold and all these different things that represented heaven on earth. Um, but around it, this massive wall. And it, I mean, big. 450 feet is probably accurate. It was like 15 stories high, uh, but it could have been up as much as 600 feet. And that southeast corner of the wall, this place called the pinnacle of the temple, where the priests would go out on that wall every day. And we think of a wall, but I'm talking about a wall that's as big as this building that we're in right now. That's how wide this thing probably was or close to it. And so that they could walk around on it and they could go out into the pinnacle, the highest place on the southeast corner of the temple, and they could blow the shofar, they could blow the trumpet, and they could make announcements one to two times a day, the priests would, a calls to prayer, the times of prayer, they could do stuff that it was, it was such a profound place of, um, it, one, it was so high, and two, it was so loud from where there was. There was this huge commons area that Herod had had constructed all around the area and stuff like that. So it'd kind of be like on our square downtown, you know what I mean, 15 stories up, go to proclaim something super loud to remind everybody of the grace, these, these quotes about the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the hours of prayer, and all these different religious things that they were doing. Um, so, you know, apparently there was like a portico up there, like Herod's portico, like he had his own like rooftop party plaza right there, kind of near it and all this stuff. I mean, it was this incredible place. Satan takes him right to the pinnacle. I'll take you straight to the top. You know what I mean? And when I was looking at that, one, I've always thought it like, how are you going to take him to the top of a temple? And I think we think of a pinnacle of a temple as like one of the big mega churches, you know, the big cross up top. He's like standing on top of it. You know what I mean? Like here in Texas or whatever. But this is a much bigger scene with a lot bigger of a crowd. And so there's people all walking around below him. But remember, Jesus hasn't been recognized by anybody. He's of no comely appearance. He just looks normal, right? And Satan, I don't know the form that he's in right here, but he obviously looks like a person. So people are walking around during this, during this deal, especially if it wasn't at nighttime. And if it was, they probably could have still seen them. But at nighttime, and they, they could look up and see the two of them standing there, possibly in the middle of the day or whenever, which I think is just such an interesting thought. Like people just saw Jesus and Yahweh and Satan standing together on the pinnacle of the temple at some random time. And had no clue what they were talking about or who they were. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the palace guards didn't see what they were doing or if they, you know, maybe they were bought off by Satan. Maybe they knew him back then. Who knows, man? You let your mind go a little bit. But it's just like they were, they were, they were up there. And, and it, it's, it's as if 
to me, Satan's kind of buying him. And it's just like, well, fine, I'm not going to get in your way. Come and take the kingdom. You don't want the nations of the earth? You don't want to bow to me? Come and take the kingdom. Come jump off of this. You're destined. You can't, you can't die. It is written, so God's going to protect you. Jump off down. You, wanna, you, wanna, you don't want to give in to me? I've been out here for you 40 days kind of pushing your buttons. You don't want to listen? Fine, I'll give it to you. I'll give you a, a red carpet straight into the temple, straight into the kingdom. They'll know who the king of the Jews is. Jump off right near where Herod's at. Jump off down there. Let the angels catch you. Make, make your entrance. Let's start this thing off. Let's start, let's start a war. That's fine. You want me to gather the nations of the world and come after you? Because I'll do it. This thing's not going to be easy. I'm coming after you. That's what I think the pressure is going on there, man. He's like, throw yourself down. And, and he uses Psalm 91, the psalm of the God of the wilderness. Yeah. El Shaddai is God of the wilderness. Everyone, oh, it's many-breasted or it's almighty. And it's like, it's not. It's God of the wilderness. Today is, is, is the term of wilderness in the nation Near East, and it's so many other languages. It's proven now. I'm new school, so this is, this is what this means. He's in the wilderness with the God of the wilderness, quoting Psalm 91. It's like, you have no clue who you're messing with and who's coming in such humility that I'm, I'm here to purchase all of them. And the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, I'm gonna, this whole thing, I'm baptizing this whole place with fire. This whole thing's going to be destroyed. You think I'm here to come, come reign in this thing? I'm here for the entire world. All the games you're trying to play to get me to trigger. But he, he didn't have, that's the thing about God. He has no ego. He has none. It's so baffling to me. How, I, don't, I don't even understand how somebody can have no ego that's that powerful. That's even a little bit. But, but God has none. He's humble. Matthew 11. You know what I'm saying? Come to me, all who are weary. I'll give you rest. I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. I'm not what you would think I'm like. Yeah. You know, It's so crazy. Jesus says, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now the devil, when he had ended every temptation, he departed him from him until an opportune time. Which, which man, how, how much did that verse, when he quoted that right there in verse 12, that Deuteronomy 6, like, <clears throat> it is written, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Did that thing haunt him after he was crucified? Like, you know, Satan thinking like, that was him. That wasn't just a son. That was him. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's the first time. You know what I mean? Just, he's pulling off scriptures and he's just, he's just cycling through them. But Satan, that, I would imagine that had to click. Like, ah, oh, it was him and I didn't know it. I've ruined everything. 1 Corinthians 2, like, oh, I, man, I didn't catch, you know, like, golly, well, he, he threw you a bone, but you didn't catch it, little homie, but that's just the way it works, you know? <laughs> the wilderness, y'all, is the place of becoming free from all manipulation. No manipulation triggered him. No control. The wilderness is a place of becoming free from all that control, which causes people not to be able to freely follow the shepherd. It's, it's the proving ground for alignment with God in all things. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, this is, this is different. This is different. The wilderness is not, oh, I'm just having a tough season. It's a wilderness season right now. Life's not going good, you know. That's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But we talk like that sometimes. I've probably said it before. I don't think I have, but maybe I have. It's possible. I say some dumb things in my life. But the thing about it is, it's like, the wilderness is actually 
It might look like it's out going out in the middle of nowhere, but it's actually going into the reality of heaven. It's like stepping into a reality of heaven where all the proving of, of the things of the world, this, this strange path, none of the pressures of that reality end up steering us anymore. And it's the place where we become who we already were before time and space. That's Psalm 139. You know, that, that, that David saying like, you, I was knit together in my mother's womb by you. Like you knew me before. Search my heart if there's any painful way within me, any pain or anything that's steering my identity into something that you didn't create. Actually bring that into alignment. That's Psalm 139. You know what I mean? The wilderness walk is coming out and even realizing, oh, my life is steered by pressure so many times. And it doesn't have to be. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's coming into the place where like, hey, even my identity much of it could have been contrived by me or groomed by somebody else as I was raised. But my identity is, to, is called to be the beloved of God. That's the baptism. This is my beloved. He ain't even done anything yet. It's like, that's right. The beloved of God steps into this reality of like, oh, I'm whole in you. And I don't got to go the status quo to get my needs met. And then all the pressures of the world, all the pressures of relationships, all the pressures of like how it looks, it's, it's, the, it's the cutting of all those strings that pull on people and weigh them down. And it might look kind of crazy from the outside. You know, I was thinking about this today. And when Israel was going to go out into the, into the wilderness to follow the Lord, God started hitting them with plagues because, you know, Pharaoh's heart was so, so hard. And um, Pharaoh started making deals with Moses. Just like, well, just go to sacrifice to God, but do it here in our land. Do it here. Do it where I'm at. Do it where you're at. In other words, set up your religious game in our system, which much of the church of the, this day is the Babylonian system. It just is. But it's just like here, like set, just set it up here and do your church. Can't you just do it here and do the spirit walk, but just do it here? And, and Moses is like, no, we're, we're going. We're going to three, at least a three days journey out of here. And then in Exodus 8, 28, he's like, all right, well, I'll let you go. Just don't go far. Stay close. All the pressures of this walk to follow God. And Moses is, you know, he says, no. Exodus 10.10, 10, the Pharaoh actually starts coming at Moses when he's going to lead the people and the Israelites. And he starts pressuring him with fear. You better, the Lord better be with you out there. Because if not, that's going to swallow you up. You better really know what you're doing. You're going in a way that's, you know, it's different than our family's ever done. You're going to really risk it. What am I going to risk? following God? <laughs> you know what I mean? The ancient of days, the creator, the provider. It's like, no. Exodus 10, 24, he says, Moses says, or uh, Pharaoh says, go ahead, just leave your livestock in your herds. Just leave some, some of your baggage, some of your things here in Egypt, here in the world, here in Babylon. Don't go, don't go take this walk with the Lord too extreme. Just, just leave it a little bit, you know, here with that system of religion. You know, yeah, something that'll cause you to have to come back. Moses again is like, no, not going to happen. To which, you know, Pharaoh gets really mad and says, fine, go and ne you'll never see my face again. I love that. Exodus 10, 29, because Moses comes back and he says, like, you, you, now you're talking truth. 
Now, now, now you're right. I won't see your face again. I love how gangster Moses was. He just was. It's like, there's this, that's what baptism is. They were baptized before baptism even hit. It was just like, I'm, baptism is this mentality like, hey, I'm all in on this walk. I'm all in here. There's, there's no string attached. There's no like, well, well, have a little safeguard here. Don't go out too far on that other side of the tracks. The wilderness, the Christian walk, is the other side of the tracks. It's where you actually pray for the direction of your life. Oh, you know what I mean? But your, your life isn't in the hands of some manipulative, crazy God that's going to be like, all right, now it's time to move Timbuktu. And, you know, you know we, we think this way, but he's, it is the creator who's knit us together in our mom's womb before time and space, the very keys to the desires of our heart and our purpose and our fulfillment that will cause us to most come alive are actually found in him, and he's our dad, and he's good. He's actually nice. God's actually kind and nice in general. And that still blows my mind because I never thought that. He's actually kind and he's actually gentle and he's nice. Joy and peace and kindness. These are the fruit of his spirit. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is wild, you know. And he desires to, to move people through this life who will take the chance of trusting his voice and going all in with him and just following whatever he says. You know, that could be so many things relationally, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like living where you're called to live, being where you're called to be, being relationships that you're called to or not to be in, you know what I'm saying? Going to the church you're called to be at. Like, yeah, like that's something we're actually called to pray about and listen to him and, and make it happen. And I, I work here and I'm saying that. Everybody should pray, even the people that come to this church. I think it's a no-brainer. But you should still pray where you're called to be and, and make that happen. Amen. And I, there's, we're to the point now where there's more people that listen to this online than there is that actually are here. I mean, we're in like at least 20 states a, a month. So many, that's how many people are listening. So it's not like I'm trying to build something here in Texas. I mean, all you guys listening, it's like, look, man, where does the Lord have you? Where is the word of the Lord? Where is their manna? Where is their fellowship? Where is their light? Where is their true authority? Like, make it happen. You know what I mean? Unpack your bags from the religious system and roll into where the Lord has you to go. You know, comfort is not your friend. All the results we want to see in life are on the other side of being comfortable. You know, but the walk of faith and the walk of the Spirit is the exhilarating walk of this true life. And you will come alive. You know, and the way we come alive is we see one that we're beloved of God and two, we're actually we're actually released into the, to manifest the identity of God in the earth by being our true selves, those who are created in His image, redeemed as if nothing ever came through the fall into our lineage, you know? Many times, I mean, the wilderness is the place of vision. It is the place of seeing outside of the, the, the facade of this plastic reality, you know? So that our heart and our life is dictated by following His voice and manifesting that reality everywhere we go. It's, a, it's the place of the blueprints of heaven. And God's out there. Israel came, Israel came out there and they, they matched them up by all their tribes. And God, the, the tabernacle and everything, was set right in the very middle of all the people. He was central to them. He became their central perspective and point of all life, man. And this is what, this is what God wants to be for us. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it's otherworldly. 
But a lot of people's visions for life, I don't think it's even really theirs. It's whatever the successful people on Instagram say it's supposed to be, or whatever dad told me it was supposed to be, or mom, or what, you know, whatever. It's like, that's the vision for my life. That's what success looks like. And, and it's like, we devise an identity in order to actually make that happen instead of actually knowing the creator himself and walking out his plan and purpose, which will yield great success in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. By his words, by red letters in our Bible, yeah. you know. You know, some people have been groomed into an identity uh, by life, by their experiences and by pain. And the wilderness is coming to a place of realizing like, hey, that's not me. It's stepping out of all the trappings of the world we found safety. And it's like, wait a second, I can know you. And I don't have to be afraid. I can be who you are in the earth. Jesus Christ was manifest. The Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says the Son of God. So what do you think the sons and daughters of God are manifest to do? Bang, bang, y'all. Destructo. That's good news to me. To undo darkness in the world by being free of it ourselves and then releasing it to everybody else. But we can't do that while we're wearing a costume. Them Halloween costumes, heavy, restrictive. They're like Saul's armor. David's like, I can't fight in this stuff. I've never tested this stuff, so he took it off and just, I'm going to take my rocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to take what I got. You know? You know? We can't be groomed in, in an identity by life or in our parent or by our parents. Some people have been groomed by identities by their parents in order to meet the standards of success of their family. Um, you know, the, the success their family desires to maintain. Or in order to avoid the shortcomings that the parents' past failures caused them to walk in. You know, I can be so scared about the things I failed in that I'm, you know, I'm steering my girls and, you know, to, to not fail like I did in this way and that way. It's just like, that's not the leading of the Lord. A parent, you know, I can see a parent wounded by the opposite sex that raises their kids to hate the opposite sex and mistrust them. Teaching them how to have power over the opposite sex so they can live their lives without, with their needs being met without ever having to be vulnerable to the pain that they went through. I mean, I, I know people like that. I know people that were raised to hate girls. You know what I mean? Just hate them. Why? Not trust them. Because their dad was burnt by one. So I'll, they're all this way. And I'll teach you that they're all this way. And you'll never be whipped. So you'll be a tough dude. And you'll play through a bunch of girls in town. And then you'll eventually settle down with one, but you'll never get married to her. Because you ain't whipped. So you ain't have a ring. You know what I mean? It's just a crazy mentality. Y'all know what I mean. I felt heavy when I said that right there for some reason. Man, yikes, dude. You know what I'm talking about, though. I have people I grew up with like that. And they're still winning. That ain't winning. You know what I mean? Look. The wilderness is the place where we come out of the burden of fear. An identity that we've been groomed into or we've believed into from the pains of life, from the sorrow, from, from whatever it is. And we trust in the goodness of God and the good shepherd. And we understand what Jesus said and read. It is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We're here to succeed. Not to fail so that he can teach us a hard lesson. No, we're here to win. He's already won. We're here to actually be the, be the ones who advance that victory over the earth. That demonstrate it. John 16 says it, yeah. To demonstrate that the ruler of this world is judged. That's what our calling is in John 16. One of, one of a lot of it. 
by becoming so free in Him, you know what I mean? That we walk around and we manifest the victory that was given to us 2,000 years ago when He bled out on the cross. You know what I mean? When His body was broken so that we don't have to inherit all the things that's become the identity of humans. Yeah. The blood severed us from all that stuff. It's all, it, the game has always been about identity. And who you are does not have to be proven. We just need to be. We're human beings, not human doings. Right? That's funny. See, I got a smile out of Anthony at least. We be, man. Yeah, man. We, you know, we're called to live this life freely by grace what Jesus has done. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see if I have any questions that I've, that I've, that I've written. Sometimes we like to or I like to do things concerning the aspects of the, uh, of the wilderness and the walk of Christianity. And here's a good question. It often comes up the more we become free in the Lord. And it's something I've often said is like, sometimes we don't understand or realize the baggage that we're carrying until we feel the absence of the baggage. And that's happened to me so many times. If I was under a lot of pressure, if I was dealing with anxiety or fear, I wouldn't even realize I was doing it because I was just so used to carrying it until I get into the presence of the Lord Jesus and I'm around him and I'm around my dad and I feel it lift and I'm like, oh, that feels good. That feels good. That feels good. I just lost the, it could be anything. Sometimes in worship, you feel like today, some of you probably felt like, I just instantly, I I was very self-conscious until something just happened and I don't really care. I'm inspired to think about the thoughts of God right now. What is that? That's the presence of the Lord, man. Sometimes we don't feel what we're carrying until we feel it taken off of us for a moment by being in His presence, you know. And the Lord desires for us to take off every yoke and every burden and every outfit that that we've put on ourselves or that's been put on us. And we do this by knowing Him. And the wilderness walk is just that. It might be in the most technological place in the world, but the wilderness walk is at the place where man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. It's, it's that this man, I can trust his voice is coming to me on a daily basis. And I can actually know him and hear from him and grow in him and become sustained by him in this real relational walk, which is the very first key to the success of life. It's actually, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. It's like, what? You've entered into a relationship, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell will prevail against it. And I was like, that he, he instantly starts, blessed are you, Matthew 16. You've actually connected to God. You've actually, you've actually got this relational. Who do man say that I am? No, you're the Christ. You've got this relational. I recognize this. Yeah, on this rock I'll build my church. This is the blessing. Oh, and by the way, bang, bang, bang. The gates of hell won't prevail. We're here to destroy them. Bang, bang. The gates of hell won't prevail. So, so go ahead and get, all, get at that. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah. It's like, hey, come alive. Take land. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Bust down demonic gates. Kick them out of your life. Cut the strings off of your own self that the enemy tries to use to get you to prove to yourself to other people or to be steered by other people or to be afraid to follow the Lord when he's leading you into some truth. You know what I'm saying? Be be free of all that stuff. Start to really know the Lord in a profound way in your own vessel. And guess what? You come out just like Jesus did out that wilderness in the power of the Spirit, manifesting it. It was inward there in the wilderness. It was outward when he stepped out of it. Instantly, he stepped out of it and started cracking off power. Instantly. And that's the walk of real Christianity. 
So the question I would ask, is there something driving? Is there something that drives me other than being led of the Spirit of God? You know? Is there some unseen pressure that's affecting my walk in this life? You know? Because if there is, it's directly related to your identity. It's like, what's my motivating factor? Satan came and tried to get any, is there any motivating factor? What is your, what's your end goal? I can throw it to you right now. If you really are the son of God, what's your motivator? You gotta prove yourself? Or you, man, you've been hidden for 30 years. I can get you to prove yourself. It's like, this ain't about proving myself. He didn't have any of the fallen nature of Adam there to drive him. But the Lord is leading us into a place of authority where we don't either. And that's freedom. That's real freedom and freedom is contagious. Somebody whose whole in their identity is more contagious than somebody with Omericon, or COVID or whatever else. I hear that's the most contagious one. You know what I mean? So it's even more contagious than that. There's probably other colds more contagious than that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not into that. I don't understand those things. But um, the reality is we start to walk in who we are. It is a contagious thing that touches other people. and They want what we've got. Go and make disciples. Not go tell people they're going to hell and sign up for your club. No, no, no. Go live this life and they'll say, what are you? Something's working. What is it? Yeah. I, just, I, I realize I'm not living by bread alone. Yeah. I live my life by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And, and I'm alive now. That's, That's us. That's what we're called to walk in. So Lord, we thank you for the reality Thank you for the wilderness intro. We thank you for the reality of everything you walked in and that you patiently waited and showed us as the firstborn of many what this looks like. To step at, at, in wholeness, to manifest the truth and the reality. We thank you for everything you purchased on our behalf. And we ask that we would be those that step into all that you have for us. And that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. We would... We would we would take this reality of the true gospel of the new covenant into every facet and, and circle of our lives, individually and corporately. Amen.